Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Social Review Podcast. We're doing a midweek episode this week because obviously there's been a by-election in Batley and Spen. We're just coming off the back of the results now. Obviously Labour managed to hold on to this seat uh, with Kin Ledbetter. I think it was in the region of about... Well, it was a narrow victory. I think it's Leadbeater. 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 It was a very narrow victory, to say the least. 323. But 303. Blimey. 323. 323. Okay. It's Basically, all, all signs were pointing towards doom in this election. The bookies had it going towards the Tories. Most major pollsters thought it was going that way. But Labour managed to pull it out at the last moment to be able to ha- hang on to the seat. In part due to the work of thousands of activists that descended on the seat. I mean, we, you know, the party pulled in people from all corners of the country. We've got a couple of people. We've got well, we've got one person here today who, who campaigned. Sean's with us to talk through the election today. We've got. I am Taryn. I'm an editor at the Social Review at at Bamp the BS on Twitter. Hi, uh, I'm Renner. I'm at that interlace on Twitter, and I'm also an editor for the Social Review my sins. Hi, I'm Sean. I'm also an editor at Social Review and I am at Sean D. Smith on Twitter. Oh yeah, I'm Q. I am the Q of QAnon. So so obviously the by-election could be characterised in quite a few ways. I mean, for most people looking on, it was, I think in, for many people in recent memory, it was probably one of the worst kind of mannered. Sean, you were on the ground there quite a lot. Obviously, we saw, saw you on Twitter, you know, slogging it out. What, what, what was the general mood like, you know, from the perspective of your of your Labour canvasser? It was horrible. It really was. But I think a lot of that was because most people turned up literally in Batley itself. And the wards in Batley are the ones that were going to Galloway. You know, they've got a, a very high um, Muslim population, a lot of whom were previously Labour voters who were leaning towards Galloway when we we knocked on their door. That was where we heard a particularly nasty rumour going round about Kim Ledbetter and uh, her sexuality, which I'm sure you will have seen on Twitter if you're listening to this podcast. You're clearly very online like the rest of us. Isn't she actually lesbian? So it's not a rumour. No, 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 no. She is is a lesbian. But um, it was going round that because she was a lesbian, she would support pushing the LGBT agenda on your kids. Whatever. I mean, I hope so, given what they take yeah. the LGBT, LGBT agenda to be. <laughs> right, I mean, like, uh, yeah, I, that, yeah. That, I, I'm, I'm all pro bit of LGBT agenda, I do have to say. Yeah, I mean, it's just straight up dirty campaigning. Yeah. And the thing is, is there's one conclusion that's kind of come out of this sort of in the aftermath of the result where a lot of people have gone, well, actually, do we really want those kinds of people who are worried about that sort of thing voting for us? And I think one easy mistake kind of a lot of people might well come out of this election kind of having is sort of thinking, well, you know, it's good that we don't have those sorts of people voting for us. But actually, I, I disagree with that completely. It's straight up a good thing if you can convince people who are against sort of, you know, the LGBT and LGBT rights to vote for a party that's in favour of advancing them. I will say I'm also concerned that, I mean, I'm not a Muslim myself, but I have Muslim friends, many of whom are, for good and correct reasons, quite annoyed with Keir Starmer at the moment. And I am really, I'm, I'm actually quite, I'm quite concerned that the result of this election will give more voice to people in the party saying, oh, well, we shouldn't worry about that. And, and that's wrong. And we should reject it and stand in solidarity with Muslim people in the party and indeed outside of it against Islamophobia. And I think one of the really horrible things in this election that I saw, and I didn't go campaign in the seat, was the way that Galloway has positioned LGBT rights 
and fight for rights for uh, and fight for rights for Muslim people is in opposition. And you know, I have friends who are Muslim and LGBT, and they've said I've seen them say or they've said to me personally how difficult that feels. How like that that that, that it's that cla- and then and those they are the people I think who are most affected by this rhetoric. I mean, I'm a I'm a white non-Muslim. LGBT person, so I am affected by it, but actually, in some sense, it's those people really caught in the crunch who I really feel for. I think one um, thing that's really useful to think about kind of coming out of this is that also, like, we shouldn't treat voters as a block when it comes to this. You know, every single person who voted for George Galloway is different. Every single person who voted for Labour is different. It's not something that necessarily passes a comment on how, oh, Keir Starmer doesn't have any issues at all kind of with these voters because clearly we can still win when actually, you know, there were a lot of reasons. People voted for a lot of different reasons in this by-election. Some voted specifically to stop Galloway who probably won't vote for us ever again at a by-election maybe or at a general election. Some voted for reasons that they might not necessarily vote for at a, a general election. And it doesn't mean that any reason that people were disenchanted with the Labour Party enough to vote kind of for George Galloway, we shouldn't write those people off necessarily. We shouldn't presume that they are so, they are now turned against the Labour Party so um, totally that we should do nothing about any concerns that they might have. You know, it's not just about LGBT issues, much as Galloway leapt on those. It's not just about Kashmir and Palestine. There are so many reasons that we shouldn't be triumphal about this. What I was going to say earlier kind of feeds back into this, but in kind of the uh, areas outside of Batley and the constituents, places like Cleckheaton, which are much more kind of Leeds commuter belt, big houses, they're not the kind of place where you go, you think these people are going to vote Labour, but they were the places that were overwhelmingly voting Labour. And honestly, given how narrow the majority was, it could well be that people in those houses who were down as Tories beforehand, voted Labour because they thought George Galloway was going to win. And, you know... We've now got to convince them that they should vote for us again. And and also, frankly, these people who, who did vote for George Galloway, you know, Labour's policy policy on Palestine, it hasn't changed since Ed Miliband, but the response with, with what happened recently and over Kashmir was rubbish. And my friends of mine in the Labour Party who are Muslim have got every right to be pissed off with the party's response to Islamophobia in the Labour Party. And we've got to do better on that. And, you know... We need to focus on these things to try and win those voters back because those voters, they don't just live in Batley and Spent. They live in seats we hold, seats we got to win, and we need their votes. And it's not just, obviously, a question of we need their votes to be in government. It's because it's the right thing to do. So I, I do think, as well, though, that there is a difference between a seat where Galloway is standing. There is only, mercifully, one of the men. And really, I don't think there are people... It's not like there's a whole cohort of work. It's a bit like, you know, UKIP was kind of the Nigel Farage show. It's not like the Workers' Party was in, is anything other than the latest Galloway show. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a prediction that might be unwise. I think we will hold Batley and Spen quite comfortably at the next election because there won't be George Galloway standing. Turnout will be higher, I think, because it was obviously down this time, as you'd expect, for a by-election, but the turnout in that seat is normally very good, and there's no particular reason, I think, to think it won't be there. I don't know where what I might call the heavy woolen voters will go in that context, but in any election where we do decently, and obviously we're all hoping for a very decent showing at the next election, we really should be keeping Ratley and Spen and holding up a higher margin. It's no surprise we got squeezed here, but I don't think it's become a marginal overnight. And I worry some people, I've seen some people say things that might imply that, which I just think is a misunderstanding of how elections do. 
I mean, it's much like kind of much like people should be wary of drawing a huge amount out of Cheshire and Amersham. People should be in terms of predicting the next election. People should remember that when it comes to the next general election, people are going to have a different question in their heads when they go to the polling station. They're going to have a different question of whatever has happened between now and the next general election. But also the different question of fundamentally at every general election, the main question people are asking in their heads is who do I want to be the next prime minister? And that wasn't, you know, if that was the question people were asking in their heads before they went to the polling stations today, George Galloway wouldn't have got 21%. And I think there's obviously a good number of people who voted for Kim Ledbetter because they were asking the question, do I want Kim Ledbetter to be a MP? And I do want to say something about that because actually, uh, I actually, I, I have heard some people say, including elected officials in the party, say things like that, that her politics are a bit unclear. I think that's probably true. I don't quite know where she'll fall in terms of the factions within the party or indeed if she'll try to rise above it i sort of hope that she does but i've seen her be pretty consistently good and stumble some time on some stuff but try to make good i i think her re- the real local focus definitely downplaying the labor element to her campaign really speaks to her strength which is in many ways i saw someone say she's the model of what a lot of people say that they want when they want a labor mp or a local orientated mp she lives in the area she's from the area she has campaigned in the area, you know, she's, she, I mean, you can not be from an area, but be a really great MP for it. Obviously you can, but the point is she's really connected to the seat. And I think that must have made a big difference because I, I want an MP like, I would like every MP in this country, whatever party they're from, to have that same kind of clear love for the place that they represent. I think that's a really great thing. So I'm pretty excited that she got elected on that basis alone. It was kind of interesting to watch because, I mean, I don't want to like shoehorn in Welsh Labour at every opportunity, but it was... I mean, you do. I mean, I I do and I will. Um, It's fine. We can toot our own horn about the one part of the country where we are not catastrophic losers. We are in government. We are in government. (laughs) Talk about it more. It is the the kind of Welsh Labour model of doing a constituency campaign. It is is hyper-focused on local issues, hyper-focused on, you know, candidate-specific kind of literature... And I mean, obviously, by-elections are a different breed anyway, but you can you contrast it with what happened in Hartlepool, which was very much a kind of like Labour Party focused. Obviously, you know, the, the candidate there had like some issues going along with him. So it, it wasn't as good as Kim. But, you know, that that is the kind of like bread and butter of the way that Welsh Labour do elections. It's very constituency focused. So it, it'd be interesting to see if that was just a kind of like anachronism in the area where we thought, Kim is a great local champion and it makes sense just to pick her up. Or if this is a case of like, let's actually learn from the party that's been in government or been the majority, you know, you know, representing the country for the best part of nearly 100 years now. Or is it just, you know, Kim's really good? Either is fine, but I, I hope it's I hope it's something to do with Wales. I mean, to be honest, it's it's the strategy we normally use at most by-elections. I mean, what I was going to say is actually it reminds me... Um, I'm obviously someone who's campaigned quite a lot for the Labour Party in the in the past. Um, it reminds me a lot of how Sarah Champion's candidacy was in the 2012 Rotherham by-election. Obviously, since then, she's become a bit more divisive of a figure. But at the time, you know, she was very much a, you know, local. She ran either a children's hospital or a children's hospice. She was very well regarded as a kind of local candidate who was seen as much more a kind of a unity kind of candidate and could... Uh, say you know I will fo- I you know I'm focusing on the local area very focused kind of on local issues and was seen as 
uh, someone who could kind of bring a lot of people kind of in to vote for her uh, on that on that basis. And so it's something that's just good practice all around in terms of how you run those by-elections. And we just didn't have that in Hartlepool because, you know, Paul Williams was Jenny Chapman's, Jenny Chapman's mate. And, you know, he was a doctor. So that was enough in terms of doing a big tick for, all oh, right, we can talk about the NHS and about, um, uh, about funding. And that's, you know, something that we like. And that's a good message when nurses' funding is being cut. But ultimately got completely steamrolled when... Boris Johnson could come in and just scream, you know, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car at everybody in in, in Hartlepool. As I recall, the local issue in Hartlepool was actually that their local A&E department had been closed. And I think it's one of the, it was like, you know, not to really to get the Hartlepool by-election, but it's worth remembering that although, like, to be clear, this doesn't make any sense, a real thing that voters feel, and therefore even if it doesn't make sense to me, we should sort of try to think about it, is the fact that the local, the Labour, Labour were the one people they've been electing for years and years and years and years, and they'd seen things cut and moved away. And like, to an extent, I think that is actually an indictment of the way our political system is set up in some sense, in that if, a, if you can consistently vote, for, you know, because the Tories keep trying this thing of, they're very overtly nowadays. The, the, the you've got a free car strategy of just like, oh, lovely community centre you've got here. Of course, it'd only get funding if your, your MP was a Tory MP, etc. Which is just nakedly cynical bribery of the highest order. But in some places it really seems to work. And, and let's not forget, and this is in no disrespect to the many Labour councillors who are good, but there are a lot of Labour councillors who are bad. And that doesn't help the situation. And there were a couple of reasons, I think, why they could, the Tories couldn't really turn the same trick at, in Batley and Spen that they did in Hartlepool. You know, in Hartlepool, they could very much play off the fact that they were effectively running alongside Ben Houchen's re-election campaign, who had a very good record in terms of how he was seen locally and getting investment to the area from the Tory government. <laughs> but Ben, Ben, Ben Houchen, <laughs> Lord, uh, like feudal Lord of the, of Tynanware. Is it Tynanware? Where, 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 so where is he actually the mayor of? T yeah, <laughs> Ben Houchen, feudal Lord of Teesside, with his massive, massive Ben Hatch Houchen statue, and like just rivers of money flowing around. And obviously, you know, I'm very offended. You know, as a, as as someone who is spiritually, if not in practice, a big fan of the original Baron of Hartlepool and Foyer, Baron Mandelson. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, like I don't, I don't like him being displaced as the Lord of Hartlepool. But um, but no, but 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 Ben Houchen had a very obvious selling point in terms of going, look, I can bring investment to the area from the Tory. Government. So did, you, did you just say that Peter Mandelson is your spiritual leech? No, no, no. I, I identify with him spiritually, if not in practice. I mean, he might well be my spiritual leech in the same way Madonna was with Brittany and Christina Aguilera. So, so I did. Sorry, not, leech, not, not, not because leech. You, you have what? a moustache. Yes, it's because he had a moustache. It's mostly because I look like him and have his and have his level of source. That's really the main reason. And, and politics. Only sometimes, not for a few years. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, they couldn't really run the same campaign that that, that they did in Hartlepool, where they could very convincingly go, look, here are all the places where we ran one in the Red Wall that got a free car. Ben Houchen's been able to give you a free car. Would you guys like a free car? And obviously that completely ran over Paul Williams. And, you know, given the fact that it was effectively a dead heat in terms of neither of the candidates being local, obviously that's one other thing that made a difference here. But in Batley and Spen, you know, it was a Tory seat in 1997. It's nowhere near as kind of obviously a place of, oh, well, Labour's just been in solidly for the past 50 years, you know, and what have they ever got done? They couldn't really run the same campaign. And so, and also, this is the other thing about the Tories running the uh, 
and you get a car and you get a car and you get a car kind of campaign in every single by-election they run. That is something also that's going to come back to bite them eventually. You know, in places like Cheshire and Amersham, they'd noticed that they were screaming and you get a car and you get a car and you get a car up north, but also not really giving them much funding locally. I uh, I actually wanted to ask something, and Sean, you'll be able to answer this, because it was something you picked up on before and it was uh, identifies, I think, something you're saying there. Which is, Sean, you mentioned, you know, these these kind of commuter areas, which should have been toy about voting for us. Is that like Labour sort of subtly getting? Like, are these like new build style houses, or are these like subtly like to to use a phrase, Dino style like voters, like people or people who are kind of upwardly mobile, living in a place where actually they can afford a house. They're not like city urban professionals. They were. They were actually quite big houses, like with with driveways and stuff i haven't i haven't read the dino article so i don't, I don't actually know who dino is but <laughs> i've obviously got i've obviously got two solutions to do you know as as the, as the resident dino whisperer the the houses that were really bad for us were bungalows people in bungalows do not vote labor but in places like um what was it i Gomas, i think it was called where, where we were sent last sunday and that was a very good round for us and if you'd gone there it basically to to get to it, you had to drive from Cleckheaton under the M62, and then it was kind of like this long main road, and then a few roads off it, and you kind of think, well, these people are not going to vote Labour. They are actually quite isolated. You know, there's not even a corner shop around here. You need a car to drive. This is Tory suburbia, and they were not voting Tory. And in fact, uh, because this this may well have been uh, because it was like two days after the Hancock stuff all broke. But Hancock was coming up a lot and there were people saying, I was going to vote Tory, but I'm not going to vote Tory now because of Matt Hancock. Thank you, Matt Hancock's cock. Yeah, frankly, given the majority was 320-something, I think anybody who did any round, because a Labour Party canvassing round is about 400 houses, can take credit and say, it was the round, it was the one round I did personally in this place that personally won the by-election for us. And we will never know what one single factor did it but the hancock thing came up and i think if the by-election had been last week we probably wouldn't want it just on the kind of red wall blue wall comparison right um i think the there's a kind of machine politics quality to boris there's a kind of his voters accept that he's cynical but they sort of trust him to act in his own best interests eg in theirs and there's a kind of sort of there's a kind of group i mean there's a bunch of articles in america about the kind of rise again of machine politics and how these kind of democratic candidates are winning in cities who uh, basically just sort of promise things to particular groups and just try and just sort of build out from from there and it's a kind of almost like a sort of rise again of Tammany Hall and there is a, there's a sort of element to that of Boris and so it is I think possible to kind of imagine peeling off people who you know maybe kind of don't feel quite so high on his priorities because I think the kind of moralistic attacks on Boris only work to an extent. Everyone's kind of baked that in that he's, you know, a shagger and a flounder and so on. But um, a sense that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't kind of honour his his covenant with the Tory tribe, I think is probably going to be the way you turn this around. Like that's, um, you know, that was definitely trash Minaj. So, so moving on from that, I think, I, I, you know, I definitely agree in terms of the fact that, you know, the, the seeds of, of the kind of the, com- the complacencies there, you know, you know, kind of forming. And I don't think Boris Johnson is particularly kind of a, a breeder politician to be vigilant enough to kind of like heed the warnings of, I guess, the, the Cheshire and Amersham by-election. But I, I do also think that across this, this by-election, you know, and I, I do think, you know, 
I, you know, I don't want to say we're journalists by any stretch of the imagination, but we're, we're people who, who who look at the media, who you know, obviously consume the media, and we are contributing it to in to some extent. I do think the the way that journalists covered this by election was, I, I I don't know. I mean, maybe it was because it was a uniquely horrible by election um, that the coverage was uniquely horrible. But I I do feel that you know a lot of journalists left centre on, on on the right as well didn't cover themselves in glory across this this election specifically. And you think you know we've had all this all the discourse about like. Galloway getting kind of like softball interviews from a number of people that didn't really help. Obviously, no one normal watches these. So, you know, you take it with with a certain amount of salt. But you you had the issue as well. I think, you know, what I was observing was that you, you had basically journalists from the Mirror, the Guardian, FT or whatever saying Labour sources say this, Labour sources say this. And they were all giving vastly disparate accounts of like what was going on in the ground. And I just think that at some point you have to look at yourselves and say like is this a, like a, a productive way to cover like electoral events if you're just kind of just doing extended tea leave reading readings um i don't know i don't know what your guys thoughts are. well to be honest i think there are some really useful although it might have seemed a little bit like you know someone's just slaughtered a frog and they're trying to read the inners from you know the inside of the i've completely melded all my metaphors together there but um but yeah it might it felt a you look bit... at the you look at the inside of birds not frogs basic divination i'm oh, sorry what well you're obviously just not in a cool enough branch of cool enough branch of wicker but um, i'm sorry you're not you're clearly not a trained harris look i'm making my own religion here it's going great for me what, what <laughs> do these words even mean like i'm sorry <laughs> Um, anyway, the point I think is like a lot of it might have seemed really disparate, but you know, it all did ultimately kind of come back to the fact that there were a lot of different reasons that people were splitting away from Labour. And I think one of my sent one of I, 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 it made me kind of quite curious actually, kind of a few weeks ago. It felt like we were getting a lot of contradictory messages because some people were saying, oh, they actually didn't like Kim Ledbetter as a candidate. Actually, we think that she's quite a cynical choice as a candidate. It felt like people were holding against us the fact that Tracy Braben had gone off to be mayor. And I was like, hang on, come on. Like, is, this isn't something that has really been kind of held against us. Kind of a, and I was getting really confused about the fact that it felt like everyone was holding everything against the Labour Party, you know, including a lot of the kind of uh, Palestine Kashmir stuff and, you know, some of it perfectly rightly. But I was like, this feels weird. This doesn't tend to happen. It almost feels like we're being held to account by everyone. And it kind of led me down the path of thinking, actually, how much of this is becoming out of the fact that there's a bit of a void coming out of the top? You know, when there isn't a strong message people have got to focus on, they actually kind of start looking for reasons of like, well, actually, why should I vote for this party? And they start picking issues, you know, when they aren't focusing on a strong message coming out the top. And I think that's one of the big lessons that's come out of this election. Look at how the Tory candidate fought this by-election by keeping his head down and saying nothing and just going, oh, you know, I want more police on the street. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it was a very nothing message. Very Keir Starmer, actually, for the last kind of two years. And I think if what Keir Starmer has got one thing to learn from this, it's actually keeping your head down and being a nothing candidate, you know, doesn't get you anywhere, you know, and this has given him a chance to actually prove, you know, this, this win was not about Keir Starmer, but that's one lesson he can probably take from this, that actually Kim Ledbetter was a strong candidate who had kind of a lot to say and had a real, me real message. And to what extent 
Keir Starmer should take anything from this. He should take that, you know, he's got time. You know, there's been signs that him bringing in the likes of Shaban and Mahmood and Conor McGinn has kind of improved the campaign. But he should take this as time to prove himself and prove that he can turn things around rather than as a big endorsement of himself. And the one thing that I'd take is that, no, you can't just have a void because then people start picking and finding problems. So I want to say, first of all, you mentioned there's a void at the top, but I thought leader of the Labour Party, Angela Rayner, has had a good few weeks. Uh, we can Not talk more. Formally, yeah, she's she's only the leader of the Labour Party in the sense Corbyn was prime minister. And <laughs> <laughs> we can talk more about actually what some of this means for what what we really care about on this podcast: internal Labour Party squabbles in a minute. But actually, yeah, on on the journalist issue, I was really not impressed by Ollie Dugdale from Joe, who are an outlet which I think people do read in some sense. In that kind of their market is slightly less politically engaged, but the kind of people who watch it's like, Dino's. It's Dino's. Uh, and Although whether they read whether they read Joe politics is an open question. Uh, sure, but that is kind of what they target, at, and there is some evidence that they succeed in doing it. And he had a a, a horrendously softball interaction with Galloway just just there was that he did a coverage thing about the really nasty incident that happened um Kim Leadbit Kim Leadbitter by some out of town anti-LGBT like hate guy harassing her and it was just this awful softball oh both sides oh I, I was just really creepy to watch um and I think it was a good example of that very cynical style of journalism which we have seen um, but as you as you say, you see the big players doing it too. People want there to be like a big fight, and they kind of invent these big. I you know it's it's just nasty. I think the media should really think about their role in making what is already a very poisonous environment even more so, and spreading that around like sort of wading into fertilizer and then using a, using like a big fan or something. I don't know. Insert your favourite poo metaphor here. Ultimately, we didn't need to have this by-election. This is the the big thing is that Tracy Brabin could well have stood down at the 2019 election when when I think we knew there was going to be a West Yorkshire Metro mayor and she could have stood down then and said, I want to run to be Labour's candidate for the West Yorkshire Metro mayor. And she probably would have won that selection fairly comfortably like she did in real life. And, you know, then we could have got a candidate in, in 2019, probably held it then. And everyone's happy and instead we have this in 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 fairness to tracy Warren, that would involve her leaving her job to go and campaign for free which like i couldn't afford to do i don't know what her personal wealth is like but no but um i i think this this also applies to if you are for example a certain northern mayor of a, a big region who has been making noises recently about wanting to come back to westminster you know, you've just been elected to be mayor of this big city, you know, a month ago. The, the greatest, the, the greatest city in the UK. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> a, month, um, a month ago, this is now your job for the next four years. You you are not coming out. You've, you've made your bed, lie in it. Frankly. Come on, I think that's being a bit unfair to Andy Bunny. He has literally said it's something he might do down the line, but he has always pre- said at the beginning of it every mm-hmm. No, nothing anyone can say can ever be unfair to Andy Burnham. <laughs> he has always yeah. started. I mean, you're, what you're saying, just perfectly innocent profile in the new statesman in the week I'm when right he was widely expected to lose a by-election. Saying, yeah, may, maybe, maybe I'll be doing that. 
Maybe, no, no, maybe, maybe I don't. So who am I to say? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I've not, but I've got something on right in front. Like he's not doing anything. anything. Could happen in this crazy. Anything could happen in this weird world of ours. Well, okay, I just trip over. Come back when you, back when you can engineer a fucking by-election for him to actually get out of the job. You know, he's always been very clear that it's something he might do in the future, but like it's not something he has complete agency over. But going back to kind of, I, I think the the issue of the selection itself and the election happening in the first place, Sean's completely right. It goes back to what Tyrion was saying about leadership of the party and the fact that, like, if you're able to kind of, like, you know, manage the party properly, if you're leader, you're thinking like, oh, uh, someone's probably a bit hacked off that I've, like, kicked her out of a job for no reason, a job that she was, like, all right at. And then, like, there's this mayoralty coming up that she might go for because she's kind of, like, a bit of a local hero. And it's like maybe just don't like bring this on yourself maybe just say no you're off the short list sort of thing and 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 annoy someone or maybe just like not hack her off in the first place that would also work so i think it's you know a lot of people are you know kind of you know you don't really have like starmer fans in the way that you did have corbyn fans you know thankfully and, and long may that be be the case but the, the few that there are or who are like really keen to like Kind of like air on the side of, of backing Keir. Uh, have come out. The quiz for Keir Twitter account is. I don't want to know. That's a thing. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. But they they have come out and said, oh, you know, this is a vindication. Like you know, steady as she goes, things can only get better. And it's like, well, actually, like this is a series of cock-ups that led to this very narrow election victory and it was a horrible election and and you know this was inflicted on us by a series of, of problems that y- you brought on us as leader and it wouldn't have been such a narrow election victory if you had, you had a clear message from the top like Tyrion said. I'd, I'd also add it's like Kim Ledbetter was obviously a very strong candidate but kind of looking around it it's very easy to see the outcome where if we had had a Muslim candidate and I think one of those a uh, councillor in Leeds who is Muslim who had been interested in running for the seat um had you know someone like that being the candidate it's very easy to see a scenario where George Galloway you know didn't really see as much of an inroad at all um and it wouldn't have been quite so easy to now that's not to take anything away from Kim Levita as a candidate obviously she was very crucial to getting it over the line and to us winning by 323 votes but you know, had there been an open selection, had um, it's very easy to see a scenario where there was nowhere near as much worry and it was a win by, say, 2,000, 3,000 votes. You know, it, it could very well have easily been the case that had you let Tracy Braving keep the role as shadow culture minister that she was enjoying so much up until December 2020 that, you know, she hadn't uh, needed to go off and become the, uh, um, hadn't needed to go off and become the West May- Yorkshire mayor at all. Um, there, there were a lot, you know, Part of leadership is, you know, and this is a shamelessly stolen Stephen Bush insight, is, is knowing the fights that you don't need to have, you know, and, and that that's one thing that this leadership needs to show that it is getting better at recognising. Um, I just, I, I don't agree with with what you said there, Tyrion. Is uh, Galloway has previously, I mean, he ran against Imran Hussain in Bradford West in 2012. He ran against Asad Khan in 2017. He would have still run. He would have still turned up. And... He would have still run, but he might not have had as much success. Is 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 what is what I'm saying. You know, he ultimately could only make such a huge kind of uh, inroad. In I forget who the Bradford West candidate was and why he managed to. Actually, let's not get into that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I do think on the leadership's reaction, you know, what was it? there was those quotes in those pieces saying that, like, Jenny Chapman and co have been massively vindicated. And it's like, wait, no, they haven't. Like, <laughs> I think there is a kind of, it's come as such a surprise. Okay. And, that he, you know, he's now so obviously kind of safe for the rest of the year, probably, unless something extraordinary happens. Okay. If it's anything, it's kind of swung too far the other way. 
and that you know we can't ultimately lose fact lose sorry lose we can't ultimately lose sight of the fact that this isn't really going anywhere i mean we've talked a lot about how kind of kim led kim led to manage to kind of fill the void of the kind of labor party at large right and that's ultimately a void that's going to have to be filled like you know i mean you know it's wonderful galloway's lost you know like great stuff boris train has stopped but you know it doesn't change the facts on the ground this isn't a by-election victory that looks like an opposition party that's going to win the next election you said sean that they shouldn't have had this by-election that we should have engineered it at a different time which we absolutely had the scope to do even have it like just 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 Tracy Tracy Bribe and step down in 2019 actually having thought about it although and I want to respect you personally for being there and going through this horrible experience this has been a horrible by-election I actually think in some ways it's good that a by-election happened I wish it hadn't been the one that did uh, and actually it's because in some sense I mean I, I do agree there's a sense in which uh Keir Starmer has got another lease to life for leadership that feels a little directionless but looking on the brighter side he has a chance to, I don't think he's going to win the next election or even necessarily be the leader, but actually it gives him more. But if, if say, this election hadn't happened, we'd still be in the kind of doldrums post the locals going badly, I think. And there wouldn't have, you, you wouldn't have, because the Labour Party is fundamentally like a squirrel chasing dog, a new thing wouldn't have happened to change everyone's overarching narrative. And so we'd basically be complaining. And indeed, had he lost we would have had intimacy and possible leadership challenge possible. You know, that would have, the Labour drama would have consumed everything. Actually, this outcome, unequivocally, if you want to see the party go forward in a new direction, even if it's not under Keir Starmer, I actually think it's, like, you don't really want Keir Starmer to just go because actually you, you, the people you want aren't ready yet. I want the party to be in a good place and for Keir to be bringing that forward. And then whoever's leader and whatever happens, happens. So I think it's just I I think if if people would just step out of their factual brains for one second I think it's probably good for everyone it's good when Labour win elections controversial view no I I I sort of agree with what you're saying there Renna is just just picking a seat off the top of my head Filton and Bradley Stoke which is just outside Bristol if there had been a by-election there the seat we lost the seat we need to win if we're going to form a government and if we'd very narrowly taken that off the Tories which I think we could well have done given that we actually quite well in the local elections there in in May um that would be you know a completely different narrative but but my other my my given we've we've won I can only have this this one minor gripe at the Labour Party's organization which was very good and we probably did win it because we literally threw bodies at the seat on polling day and it was very much you turn up at the campaign center you get given the board you go out you do your round, you go back in, you hand your board and you get given another one, you get sent back out in and out within five minutes. And, you know, frankly, from what I could see, both with my eyes and on Twitter, is that half of Labour Twitter was there, which is great, obviously. But on polling day, you know, and I get that because of because it's this seat, the very specific circumstances, is a lot of the places we were being sent to that were down as previous Labour voters. The last data we had was from the 2016 by-election when, you know, it was us and a load of fascists, basically. And I'm not convinced that that is an entirely sensible selection to run because if you are a Tory voter or a Lib Dem now, you were almost definitely going to have either not voted or voted Labour then. And that's, that's my other issue is... A lot of the places we're being sent to, I don't think, had been canvassed since then. To kind of go 
back a little bit onto a point sort of Renan was making about this coming at a good time for the result of the party, uh, for, the, for, for the party as a whole. One thing that was kind of quite interesting um, is that actually before this, people were saying that, you know, obviously there wouldn't be much consequence uh, in terms of Kestama going immediately had we lost. Partly because, you know, people didn't want to give Galloway the result that he was so clearly campaigning for. But the other thing was also that actually he'd kind of given the parliamentary party a lot of what they wanted from his leadership anyway, a couple of weeks ago, with the clear out of um, the leader of the opposition's office. And actually, one reason why this comes at a really useful time to almost be a firebreak for his leadership is that you are going to get a lot of those figures uh, coming in who are replacing a lot of people who just straight up have not been performing in the way that they needed to for uh for Keir Starmer uh you know they are going to be coming in over the next month Deborah Mattinson is coming in as uh I think head of strategy um you have going you're going to have a replacement uh in terms of head of comms um and actually kind of having more experienced hands kind of coming in who know how to kind of get a lot of the things that Keir Starmer has just been getting wrong full stop kind of uh for the last kind of few months um the party's kind of been in a really awkward position I'm I, it might well still be in terms of the public landscape um, of, of public opinion, but I think it's something that might have gone since Hancock. Um, I was speaking with a pollster kind of a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things that he was saying that was really noticeable about this time, particularly during the vaccine rollout, is that he, the way he's seeing voters respond in focus groups and things like that to any sense of negativity uh, and negative messaging from uh, the Labour Party has been like the most hostility he's ever seen voters kind of just random voters responding to that kind of stuff full stop you know they just don't want to hear it they, they're responding kind of like you know when everyone's sort of a bit waved on MDMA on a Saturday night and uh, someone brings up Gaza and it's just like no mate we don't want to hear it we don't want to hear it like not, not, now's not the time everyone's just actually focusing on the kind of like the nice weather the vaccine rollout they've had a hard year they 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 just do not want to hear that now that's very much i want to be clear not the same thing as saying that labor's silence over the last few months it that it should have been silent and just saying nothing i think it, sh it could have used that time for much more positive messaging kind of after the local elections it sh starmer should have focused a lot more on trying to unite the party with a lot more kind of interventions that you know only high information kind of party supporters might see so like responding to that speculation that um that there might be um, an increase on fees uh, for people going to uni. You know, he could have responded by just rolling out, hey guys, we're the Labour Party. We are, you know, are, by the way, just to remind you, promising that we are going to abolish these things instead of making you pay, start paying back from 19K. He could have done stuff like that that reminded people, all right, I remember why I like Keir Starmer, even though he just tried to, not, even though he just tried to sack uh, Angela Rayner. He could have focused a lot more on that kind of stuff. And actually, the way that this can be useful as a firebreak is it can prove it, it gives him a chance to actually turn things around in terms of starting to have a solid consistent message coming from the top uh in terms of you know he's actually weirdly got a lot of policies you know there are there is a real conception oh starmer hasn't got any policies it's not that he hasn't got any policies it's that he's got a policy and he only announces it once or that he only makes one intervention and thinks that that's enough well, if you if you've introduced the evidence into court multiple times, the judge just gets annoyed at you. Yeah, that, but this is the problem. He hasn't learned that he's got a different job now. <laughs> it's like that 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 might well be the case that you that you get that you get the judge being annoyed if you repeat yourself. However, being leader of the opposition is not the same as being. Uh, a I, I I actually in my legal experience, by which I mean I've played the Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney date games considerably. You have to mention uh, you have to mention uh, evidence quite a lot because the judge is a forgetful old man. But 
but like I, I'm I'm willing I'm willing to admit that I may not be a legal eagle in this regard. I, I guess I wanted to mention at some point, I think it's my at a good time that like we haven't talked about it much. And they didn't really talk about it during the campaign, but of course this was hap- the context of who Kim Lee Bitter is, the sister of Joe Cox, the MP for the seat who was killed by a fascist in the course of doing her job, I think can't be understated. And certainly the things that Joe Cox believed in in a, a country with her sort of more in common maxim, the notion that we as a country can come together across our divisions, um, was very much the notes that, that Kim Ledbetter was playing on. Uh, and I have to say, for me personally, that's the thing that made me feel emotional about this by-election. Was, yes, it was very close, but actually um, I, I want to live in a country um, and be proud of a country in which people are not pitted against one another in divisions where we... Yeah, I've got, I sound like a parody centrist here, but, you know, like, I accept that I will disagree with people. I accept that people have different things. But ultimately, I want to live in a community and a community of communities of people who ultimately believe in working together and for a common good and a shared dream and purpose and finding those points of commonality. And that is is what I think Joe Cox believed in that the the sort of the reasons why she was murdered by a fascist and I'm and I I do see Galloway as well as at least fascist adjacent or akin to a fascist in his politics and I am glad that he beat her and I can't say I just want to say on kind of a personal I am glad when fascists lose basis and I'm glad when they lose like this it was good that that happened Uh, and I I wanted to mention that so you know in 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 memory of Joe Cox and I think there's actually that leads on to one really important point in terms of how Keir Starmer presents himself. You know, one thing that he came in and said is that Kim Ledbetter was a union candidate, but also it's been a really big message that Keir Starmer has kind of always always led on. And talking about unity can seem vague and flip-floppy and that it doesn't really mean anything. And God knows Keir Starmer has very much gone down that road plenty of times over the last year. But actually, if you are very clear about it, saying you're in favour of unity can actually be a really important dividing line politically and a really effective one for Labour. I mean, it can be really effective, for example, you know, in the most extreme example, a message of unity was really fucking important and effective in South Africa in the 90s. You know, it, 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 it could be one I'm that... I'm sure I, I make that comparison. I literally said, said in the most extreme example that that is, you know, clearly a really effective no, in, uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely true that sort of fundamentally that the Tories have very much been playing on politics in yeah they don't believe in it really you know for for all that they might occasionally say things about one nation stuff and I, i think you could make an argument actually that she said a bunch of stuff about it and she absolutely wasn't here for everyone i mean she was brutal if you weren't from this country but Theresa May occasionally said things which implied that she might believe things like that. But uh, I, 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 I don't like Theresa May. But like the point is that it's not like there's no question that that's not what Boris believes. It's that and that and actually. Uh, and you, you you mentioned machine politics, right? Finding those groups and and like I, I, you know, I think I think I think I don't I am on <laughs> given that I'm on the left, I can be I feel uncomfortable sometimes about language about like patriotism, right? But like I think it is true. I want to be in a country where I feel like we are not against one another on a fundamental indivisible level and and like like okay yes i am a high information actual labor activist but like if you talk about the things that like make me warm in me tum tum 
it, 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 it's it's you know as a trans person the feeling that I am like in an embattled section of society. I mean, even though I'm a you know a fairly I, I I do okay as trans people go because of my other life circumstances. But like you know that's pretty scary. The the whole the the, the reason you know I have people I know who are, who are maybe on the right and sort of say, oh, I think, think the culture war is a laugh because it's like, oh, it's a game that we're playing. It's, it's not a game. Actually, the reason why we need to reject like that politics completely, not just play the other side of it, actually, is because fundamentally when you start those fires, they just keep burning. I mean, this is what I mean about how it can be a really important and crucial message about how there's, a, and, and also a really crucial dividing line with the Tories. You know, it's funny people saying like, actually a politics of unity can be a dividing line, but it is, it is with the Tories. You know, there's a very simple message that Keir Starmer presents. It's like, actually Labour's focused on investing in the country and bringing people together in a way that the Tories aren't. You know, we're focused on bringing people together after the divisions of the last few years, while the Tories are focused on, on you know, you've got MPs like the MP for Bassett, Lord Brennan Clark-Smith, comparing the England team taking the knee to doing Nazi salutes. They're focused on actually almost distracting the fact that they're not investing in the country as much as they're making it look like, you know, only a tenth uh, for education, COVID catch-up spending, and how are they distracting from stuff like that by kind of going on and, and pitting people against each other and stoking culture wars and saying stuff like, oh, BLM is actually the real fascism uh, in this country. They're focused on stoking up these kinds of fights in a way that Labour isn't, you know, we believe in actually, you know, just... I, I, and I don't, I don't, I think it's easy to say, oh, that means we shouldn't fight for social causes. I think we should fight for social causes. But, like, I think there was a particular way that the Tories frame it. Yeah, I mean, no, this is the thing. That, that is, that is doesn't mean we shouldn't disagree about anything. It means that we shouldn't try and pit people against each other for the sake of it to try and distract from other stuff that's going on. And that's what the Tories are doing. I certainly think, you know, I, I definitely take what Rena says here in terms of you know, how emotive it was, just even as someone who lives, you know, hundreds of miles away, it, it definitely felt like all of what was going on, especially with with the kind of, you know, the, the muckraking politics of the likes of Galloway, who is who should be treated like the carpet-bagging, fascist-adjacent, actual fascist, let's be honest at this point, let's call a spade a spade, um, that he is, and, and, and he frankly wasn't. Of all the seats to pick, of all the emotion tied, tied up in Batley and Spen, for that to descend on there... I, I just think it was, it just, it made me profoundly, it made me just so profoundly sad. There was that quote from Kim. And I think this was actually the moment that I was like, no, actually, I feel personally invested in this election, actually. Uh, having felt quite checked out, I mean, I was really annoyed with the party. I'm really annoyed personally with, with Starman. I, I still feel those things. But the moment I was like, well, actually, I think I am now emotionally affected to the election was that quote she had. She's like, well, when all the cameras have gone and all the, hubbub has passed i will still be here and we have to build a community together and i think it's easy actually to sit on twitter and i see this across the political spectrum i saw you know i saw some guy i kind of like who's like on the ultra left anarchist spectrum he was like oh it's a really funny election i don't find it funny but like but i think that's the thing it's like it's not a game okay i mean there are people across this party who treat it like a thing that they can win that politics is just a game or that it doesn't matter or that actually it's really about personal beefs or power or exercising of things but that's not why i sorry i'm getting emotional but it's not why i care about politics i i, I care about politics because ultimately it is the way i care about democracy as a way of solving problems because it is the alternative we have to violence that it is the correct decision that we have, that we will live together 
and find a way forward and build a future in a society together. And, you know, it, when the pundits have gone and they have torn up and sowed division and the, 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 these, these, the traveling Galloway carnival has gone over, people remain. And, and they are the people who, who matter. The, the, the one of the reasons I, I find it so hard to forgive, not everyone who voted for Leave, but the way that Brexit was sort of prosecuted by the Tories and the issue in the past few years, for instance. Um, and actually, to be honest, and I saw this on people who were sort of on that solidly FPP side as well, is the way in which people with any disregard for the way in which people would have to live just tore through stuff. But it is it is the way people live in their actual lives. It is the day to day of can you relate to your neighbours? Can you walk out in the streets? Can you can you can you say hello? Can you relate to one another? That that is what we should be. That if we can't do that well, if we can win but only if we have to burn the village in order to save it, then there's no point in doing what we do. There's no point in any of this because it isn't a game. Because of my particular circumstances with regards to the Labour Party and how I got involved and, and all that, which you all know about, obviously. You might want to actually say for podcast listeners who don't know. I don't yeah, think you make it was a I don't tough know. place to go. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure podcast li- we, we know, but I'm not sure okay. podcast okay. listeners. Okay, so, so I am very closely related to a sitting Labour MP. Um, and, you know, it, it was a tough place to mentally for me to think, okay, I'm going to go to this place where, you know, Joe was murdered and this person I related to got elected at the same time as Joe, knew Joe reasonably well, I think. And, you know, won't send me to, to Burstall where Joe was murdered because I will not, I will not be able to cope. I, I will not be able to do this. And, you know, no matter especially after the first time I went, I just thought, you know, no matter what my gripes with the leader of the Labour Party and the way the Labour Party is being run, I am just not willing for that fucking man to swan in to this place, which, you know, I have, I have no connection to, to Batley and Spen. It's, you know, it's an hour's it's an hour away from me on the train in Manchester. So it's somewhere, you know, if there was a, you know, when there's election and you need activists, I can quite easily go to and help out. But you're not running to be the MP no, there. No, I'm not running to be the MP there. I have, I have absolutely no emotional material connection to, to Batley other than it's, you know, a place I go through on the train sometimes. But just the, the message that it, it would have sent of, you know, this man can, can turn up and wreak his havoc and so this man can turn up and, and wreak all the havoc and chaos that, that he has. And people, you know, not 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 just people on Twitter, but, you know, actual journalists who, who are important people turning up and just treating this as if it's some big game com- compared to, you know, you know, Kim Ledbetter, who, again, be- because of the circumstance, the familial circumstances she's found herself in, being Joe Cox's sister. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that this, you know, that is what, you know, she should be known for and should be entirely what she's, she's held against. But it's just, it's very emotional for me and I'm, I'm sure for a lot of other people. Seeing someone who is, you know, it's what people say they want in, in a, a Labour candidate. They want a, a community activist who is, you know, lives there, is, is known for doing stuff 
and just the fact that that she might have lost because of this man. I don't really know how to end, how to end this. Point. Constituency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I. No, no. I mean, thank you, Sean. I mean, I think that 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 personal. Yeah, I mean, you 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 in some sense. Yeah. I hadn't actually quite considered until you said it then how how resonantly that must be personal. I hadn't realised, of course, that your relative had been elected at the same time as Joe. I guess one thing I want to say, and maybe we want to draw this to a close soon, is is both what does it mean for the Labour Party going forward, but also, and to pick up on this strand of discussion we've just had, Galloway and people like Galloway will stand again in other seats. They will do this kind of thing, whether you know, and, and I think it is worth saying. You know what? The, I hope that every time that happens, it is pushed back. That we say no, and we we should. Essentially, I think I feel that very strongly. Like it is a. I mean, fundamentally, it's like an anti-fascist instinct on my part, and I mean that in the sort of the technical sort of sense of that, right? Like it's a. Actually, you no. Know, you draw the line. You push them back. You bring people away, and you make this not happen. Because you don't have that happen in a society. I mean, so there are two quotes that I sort of think about that that your observation there, Renis, kind of made me think about. And obviously, it's very much not the exact same, although the kind of politics that George Galloway stands for and that, you know, demagogues stand for very much do lead to this sort of thing. You know, it kind of reminded me of that quote uh, the IRA said after they bombed uh, the Grand Hotel in Brighton and, and Margaret Thatcher lived. It's like, yeah, you know... You, you have to be lucky every time, but we only have to be lucky once. And that's almost kind of how it runs with those campaigns. But the second follow-up for that is, it's not about luck, how you win these campaigns. You suddenly find, actually, if you work quite hard, luck, you suddenly tend to start getting lucky quite a lot more of the time. And actually, if you learn the lessons from this campaign and how we run these things, and there is a lot of stuff that we got wrong, you know, let's remember, we only won by 323 votes. You don't only win by 323 votes if everything was fine. That's a resounding win over Galloway compared to how many votes, but we did nearly lose the seat. And so that shows that there is a lot that we've got to learn from this in terms of how we go about these kinds of future elections. But if we focus on learning those lessons, if we don't suddenly think, ah, we won, that clearly means everything was all right. And we recognise that a lot of hard work went into this and that there are definitely things that we can change about how we run these sorts of future campaigns. It makes it a lot harder for demagogues to be lucky once. I think it's, uh, we have to be wary in the low part, I think, sometimes of only working harder. In the, the, the one more heave ethos, I, I, I think a mistake we often make is that if we just throw more energy at something, we will see it done. Actually, but what I want to see happen in the Labour Party is that we think smart, we do good things, we work hard, we don't spend time... I mean, and this goes for the right, too. The people on the right, who ultimately are still slathering for more and more Labour internal purging, like, at some point, not... not like, 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 like learn some lessons, do some good politics... Look at the kind of things that wins elections. Look at the kind of things you want to do. Bring that together and then and then do it, right? But just do it. Just do something. I think, you know, if we want to draw things to a close um, shortly because I've got to be a beast to edit this, what, what I will say is I think that the threat of figures like Galloway and his presence within politics should be... I, I, I think it should weigh on everyone's minds when they, you know, are firing off 
a string of tweets about, you know, oh, this is a really interesting factual development or, oh, this is, you know, what, what does X mean about Y, about the relationship between Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner? And it goes back to what Renner and, and Sean were saying about politics as a game. It's like, you know, at some point you need to kind of enter the real world in terms of the fact that like if we... If, if we got lost in the game to such an extent, got lost in the source to such an extent that we, we kind of lost a sense of ourselves, Poli- the politics of Galloway, Galloway himself, that could wreak havoc across the country in a much more significant way. And we're over here kind of like getting concerned about the kind of like minutiae of like Labour office politics when you think like, meanwhile, he's, he, he's, he's stirred up anti-LGBT hatred, basically. And we've just basically been going oh you know like not really taking it completely seriously and and you hear this from people on the ground like the amount of people like like sean obviously who who, who we've heard from but many activists who came out of batley and spen were you know they were deadly serious about what's going on and the people who weren't going there the people who were who were you know the pundits and the journalists and things like that and and the people who were rocking up to you know treat it as a as a game as people said we're all quite kind of like oh this is it's kicking off in, in Batley and Spen there's been a kerfuffle and you think this is real life at the end of the day and, and I think that the lesson to draw from this is obviously the Labour Party needs to sort itself out obviously we need to be working smarter obviously we need to sort sort ourselves out but you know the the, the root cause you know the, the kind of motivating factor is obviously one to be in government but it's also to prevent this stuff happening again because every time we have have one of these by-elections and we talked about the strategic problems of the the error of letting the election happen in the first place every time you know they get a they get an ounce of oxygen that's not the way you measure air but you know whatever any any time they get a a a cubic meter of oxygen shall we say um you know a lot of oxygen that's a that's a great amount of oxygen people like galloway you know they find themselves new followers and the, and the problem will only propagate itself further and further. And I think that's what we all need to take away from this election is the fact that you just can't can't give the bastards an inch, basically. Not to sound like a Nandyite on Maine, but like, although I find some of her town's shtick a bit hackneyed, one thing she does say sometimes, I think this is generally true, is that, you know, often a lot of stuff is about people's power and agency that um ultimately when people are given an opportunity to actually understand the things that are happening to do and how uh, then they'll often make like better choices like she has some anecdotes she tells about people being initial they're being like initially like a strong anti-refugee sentiment but then some work was done locally to sort of diffuse that and i think honestly that that is is probably the future of where a lot of good politics in this country lies not exclusively actually and it shouldn't always be within the labor party you know i have friends on the left on the left of the me not in electoral politics sense right the reason i respect some of them is because actually they do care about like communities and doing stuff where people live and the basic facts of people's lives and that to me is you know the labor party is not is a action a, a thing through which that should act and i think it can and should And that brings us to the end of this special edition of the Social Review Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please feel free to share it on the social media platform of your choice. And if you have any questions you'd like to ask the Social Review team, you can do so at at SockReviewPod on Twitter or email us at SockReviewPod at gmail.com. From next week, we'll be doing an Ask Us Anything section. Thank you so much for listening and have a fantastic rest of the day.